To introduce today's scripture, um, we have been in the Christmas season with Advent and the stories leading up to the birth of Jesus, but today our scripture is from an Old Testament prophet who lived maybe 600 years earlier than all that happened with the birth of Christ. It is the prophet Jeremiah, considered one of the great prophets, the second great prophet. Um, And Jeremiah had a very difficult life. He lived in Israel at a time where he could see the writing on the wall that bad things were coming. And apparently the people had drifted away from God, were living lives that were self-centered and were not true to who they were. And he's constantly calling them back and then things really go badly for people. And Jeremiah lives through um, the destruction of the temple. For the Jewish people, Solomon's temple was sacred, and there are two points in their history where their temple is destroyed. This is the first destruction of the temple in 587 uh, before Jesus is born. Later, that's going to happen again in the first century, but this is the first, and it is destroyed because Israel is conquered by the mighty Babylonian empire. And it is this that Jeremiah lives through. He is constantly trying to pull the people back to who they are. And when times get rough, as they do, he actually lifts up his good news and tries to be an encouragement. So to this day, Jeremiah is not only remembered in the Jewish tradition, but he is quoted in the New Testament and also in the Quran and is part of the tradition of Islam. Um, In this particular passage, you will hear references to a future that is going to be better for people. Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet because he lives through such hard times. His life is threatened. At one point, he is thrown into a cistern, which is kind of like being thrown into a sewer and left to drown. His life is constantly threatened, and yet here he gives us some good news. He talks about the remnant of Israel. Listen for that phrase. The prophets use it. Isaiah uses it as well. A remnant is, if any of you are into sewing, it is a little leftover scrap of cloth. If you're cutting out things for a pattern, you have a little leftover. So he talks about Israel being a remnant. It's like they've, been, they've lost their land to the Babylonians. They are a piece of what they once were, but they still matter. He also talks about weeping and then consolations. And consolations for any of our confirmands, the people in confirmation class, we always begin our confirmation class with our desolations and our consolations. Desolations are the things that left you sad from the week. Your consolations are the tender moments of grace, the good things that happened. And he talks about turning mourning, as in grieving, into joy. And also there is a reference in here, as there often is in these ancient prophets hundreds of years before Jesus' birth, of a time when there will be gentleness and kindness for all groups of people, including those with child and those in labor, which seems to predict the coming birth of Christ and Mary's journey. A reading from Jeremiah.
Thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and raise shouts for the chief of nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, save, O Lord, your people, the remnant of Israel. See, I am going to bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, those with child and those in labor. Together, a great company, they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with consolations I will lead them back. I will let them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I have become a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd a flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall become like a watered garden, and they shall never languish again. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will give the priests their fill of fatness, and my people shall be satisfied with my bounty, says the Lord. There's a podcast I like to listen to called The Argument, hosted by Jane Coaston. And one of the things I like about the podcast is that she brings together um, writers, news people, commentators, op-ed people, um, who are on different sides of the political aisles. So conservatives and liberals and socialists and everybody on there. And um, they try to model how to have an argument in a civilized way and debate things. And I always enjoy the back and forth of that. And this year in the podcast, um, last week, she posed the question to her people and she said, um, was 2021, this year that's just passed, um, better or worse than 2020? And when she asked that question, I was baffled, frankly. I thought, I don't know anybody who would say that this past year was worse than 2020, when the pandemic began. I couldn't even understand the question. But sure enough, these journalists, these political pundits on all sides began to make the case that 2021 had been the worst year of their lives. And at one point, the host, I think in her wisdom, said, if you were not a journalist in the political field, if you were, for example, um, more like the average person, let's say you work in retail, let's say you work in a restaurant, would you then say that 2021 was more difficult than 2020? And of course, all the participants were sort of stumped, I think, and somewhat humbled by that question because it revealed the bubble 
in a sense that they were in, all of them, and they, they sort of admitted that as, as people whose lives were all about this conflicted political situation in our country, everything always seems bad. And the host talked about something that pervades the political world, doomerism, doom and gloom, doomerism. And I thought, yes, like, this is why I think many people say I don't want to watch the news because there is so much more to life than that. And it was interesting to watch these people who probably are fairly wise in other ways sort of miss this basic point that for most people, 2020 was more devastating. And 2021, while it wasn't as good as we hoped, was an obvious improvement, at least overall. And yet, when you come to New Year's Day, a new year, when we think about our resolutions, we can't help but look back on the year that has passed and say, what am I glad to be rid of? What do I hope for the future? And most of us, what we hope for our future is that our life will be like a watered garden, as Jeremiah says. And I love the image of life as a watered garden because if I looked out my window at my very little garden, I live downtown, I have patches of, of green against the bluff, but if I looked out at that, say, a week ago, it was nothing but ugly and dry and brown, and then it was wet on Christmas Eve, and now it has snow on it, and in a few months, it's going to be the beauty of the watered garden where the flowers are going to spring up. This acknowledgement of spiritual maturity that says the garden doesn't always look like it does at its full flower in spring. But we long for our lives to be like that watered garden. We want the morning to turn into joy. And as we look at the year that has passed, all of us, Yes, you can look at the big events as these journalists did and name the things that have been hard all around the world. But you can also look at what the year has been like for you personally. And it is often the case, I think, that the worst or most difficult years in the world or for a country are not always the most difficult years for us as individuals. When I think of the, the worst year of my life, it is not related to what was happening in the wider world. And if you look at your own life and think of that, maybe you don't have a worst year of your life yet. <laughs> but, but I remember mine. I can tell you exactly what it was. And it was the year that I was 33 years old and in that same year, three things happened. My mother died young, tragically, of colon cancer. And in the same year, my father had a brain aneurysm, and we didn't know what was going to happen with that. And then in the same year, my eight-year-old son was diagnosed with juvenile diabetes. And I remember it was not that any one of these things is particularly extraordinary or, or even more difficult 
than what other people go through. But I remember it was the confluence of the three things in that order. And by the time we got to the situation with my son, what I longed for more than anything, I thought I can get through anything, but I wish so much that I could pick up the phone and hear the encouraging voice of my mother to get me through my greatest challenge as a parent. Years later, on the other side of it, I see that these things are surmountable. You've all gone through them. But for me, that just happened to be, that was my worst year ever because one thing after another happened. And there's a way in which other years, I can't help but compare them to that one. And remember that eventually mourning does turn into joy and that the garden does blossom again. For those of you who've had your worst year ever this year, I give you that comforting word from Jeremiah. For those of you who feel like your life is a remnant of what it once was, it does become more whole. Weeping comes, but consolations also come. Another indulgence I have, if you will, is there's a column that runs in the New York Times that's called It's Never Too Late. And they tell inspiring stories of people who take on new challenges at surprising moments in their lives. I don't know the answer to this question, but I wonder if I asked our musicians, how many of you started to play your instruments when you were children? Or got involved in, you can raise your hands if you want. Pretty much all, right? Um, so uh, in this column of it's never too late, I'm always amazed by how many of the stories were people learning to do new things. So there is the person who goes to seminary at the age of 50. Well, we're familiar with that. We've seen people in our church do that. But there was a person who had never learned how to swim and at the age of 68 took lessons and learned. There's people who found new love in their 80s. There was a man who recorded his first album at the age of 85. There was a woman who learned to ride a horse at the age of 63. She had always dreamed of it. And then, I love this story, at the age of 93, there was a woman who went back to her cello lessons that she had taken as a child and restarted lessons on the cello at the age of 93. We have our worst years ever, and yet there are people out there who are willing to try something new, and it inspires me. It is the difference, I think, between recognizing that in life you can hit a ditch versus an abyss. A ditch, you can see it on the side of the road, you can fall into it, and you can get out of it. The abyss is the never-ending non-existence that you don't see a way out of. And this is what Jeremiah is saying. I will turn your mourning into joy. Enough with the doomerism. Yes, this Israel might be your worst year ever. The temple has been destroyed. The Babylonians have taken over. 
and your life will become like a watered garden. Young women will rejoice and dance, and young men and old will be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. This is the promise that came nearly 600 years before Jesus was born. And this is the promise that we hold to. As you celebrate the sacrament of communion today, where all people are welcome to receive this gift, no matter who, no matter what, as we share this gift at the table together, think back on the blessings, the consolation, the weeping, and the watered garden that is your life. Amen.